We have two readings today. The first is from Psalms, Psalm 8. Our second reading today will be from Hebrews, so you can stick your finger in Hebrews, chapter 2. Okay, Psalm 8. For the director of music, according to Gittith, a psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set glory in your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Our second reading. If you flick over to chapter 2 of Hebrews, I'm going to be starting from verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here am I, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amy. Let's uh, pray as we come to reflect on God's word together. Our loving Father, we thank you for uh, your word to us that uh, tells us so much about your Son. I thank you that in these words we can get to know you and uh, grow in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
Uh, in the last fortnight, we've seen a tragedy unfolding in Turkey and Syria. Uh, you'll remember uh, almost two weeks ago, a devastating earthquake and now days of sifting and searching through the rubble, desperately trying to find any possible survivors. Perhaps you saw the sheer joy of the rescuers uh, when they found a newborn baby born under the rubble cord still attached, uh, though tragically she'll never know her mother. Uh, moments like this show us the sheer value and wonder of human life, uh, the lengths that we will go to, uh, rescuers coming from the other side of the globe, uh, just to find one more woman or man or child still alive. Uh, that's the, the value of human life and the selfless dedication that we're capable of. But that's not all we're capable of. I uh, read a report that in recent days, the hospital where this newborn girl is being cared for uh, has been stormed by intruders uh, who attacked the hospital director over a, a perceived slight against a friend of theirs. And it's not only in faraway places either. Last week I was reading, uh, seeing reports of bullying and harassment in our hospitals. Uh, but it could be, it's not just hospital, it could be unscrupulous financial advisors in the corporate world, it could be bullying at school or harassment on uni campuses, it could be in the church. In all these places we find uh, the exact opposite of what we see in Syria. Instead of desperate efforts to save and to value human life, we see people de demeaned and dehumanised, treated with contempt and, and sadly it can even lead to the loss of human life. The, the pointy, the really sharp end of this paradox is that so many of these places like hospitals and churches and schools are, are meant to be places of healing and growth and learning uh, where people receive care and nurture and people do receive that in these places and yet also there's this Incredible suffering as well. Institutions can be both wonderful and awful because the people who make them up can be both wonderful and awful. Each of us as individuals, we're capable of, of wonderful deeds of self-sacrifice and callous words and deeds that, that demean and belittle and inflict pain. The French scientist Blaise Pascal famously said that humans are the glory and the garbage of the universe. The, the pinnacle of all that's wonderful and good. The source of all that's most polluting and destructive. Humanity is a, a paradox. We can't separate the good from the bad. And so uh, we must ask if we believe in a God who created all things, and especially if we believe in a God who created people in his image... What does he have to say about this? What's his response to this? What's he going to do about it? If, if God created the vast universe, uh, as the Bible claims, and like we heard about last week, you'll remember that uh, John was demonstrating with the sheet of paper, right? If the, the distance from the earth to the sun was shrunk to the thickness of a sheet of paper, then our nearest galaxy would be most of the way to the back of the room. Uh, let alone the other 100 billion plus galaxies. 
If God is the creator of all this and he sustains it all by his powerful word, then well, maybe he's just too distant, too, too mighty, too magnificent and lofty to really worry about us humans. Does he really care what's going on under the rubble in Syria on some distant arm of the Milky Way galaxy? How could we hope even to approach such a a lofty and mighty God, let alone expect him to care about what's going on down here? And we might have got this impression from from chapter 1. The last couple of weeks we've seen just how majestic and glorious the Son of God is, a loftier even than the angels, as Charlie reminded us. And so now our author turns to address this question, but not in the way that we might expect. Instead of diminishing God's loftiness, instead of bringing him down to our level, the author actually shows us God's glorious plan for humanity. In verse 5 it says, It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. It's a great way to quote the Old Testament, by the way, that you can't quite remember where the Bible quote is. But there is a place where someone has testified... Anyway, the the quote checks out. The author's not making it up. Uh, And it's from Psalm 8, which Amy read for us. It says uh, uh, in verse 6 of our passage, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. Humans are the glory of the universe. How incredible that God would care for us and not just care, but give us a position of of authority and responsibility over all that he has made. He has crowned us with glory and honour. Yes, God is lofty, and he's given us a lofty and noble purpose too, to to reign under him, to bring uh, his blessings to all the creation, the, the blessings of God's reign. The glory of the universe. But it's not the full story, is it? As we've seen in verse 8, picks this up. At present, we do not see everything subject to them. The very fact that we see uh, earthquakes and disasters shows that humans are not ruling. We're not in control, actually. The fact that we see bullying and, and harassment shows that we're not bringing the blessings of God's kind rule even to other humans, let alone to all creation. Something has gone wrong. We've, we've wandered off the reservation. We've strayed from this noble purpose that God has given us. We've ignored God's rule over us. And so our power over the creation has become corrupted and destructive. We exploit other humans who bear the image of God. We hunt animals to extinction. We destroy their habitat, which is our habitat too, of course. We show scant respect for what God has made, uh, all because we've rejected him. Someone this morning was sharing their their story and talked about being a spiritual rebel. We've rejected him. And, And as you can imagine, when we collectively reject the author of life, well, it leads to death. 
And we simply do not see the reality that God created and planned and purposed. Instead, we see fractured communities and families. We see mental health struggles and and self-loathing. We see poverty and oppression and, and fear and isolation. And this is not to blame anybody who's experiencing these things. They're a collective reality. A collective reality of a world that is not as God made it. Another um, person writing at a similar time to Blaise Pascal was Thomas Hobbes, uh, an Englishman. He was uh, so pessimistic about human life that he described it as solitary, poor, nasty, brutish and short. Pretty inspiring guy. Basically, he said that humans are ruled by the fear of death. That's all that can bring us together. There's no greater good to pursue, just the fear of death and trying to avoid it. So if it feels like garbage is triumphing over glory, maybe for you personally, in in your family or or workplace, Hobbes is your guy. He gets you. right? He's describing this world alienated from God, where we simply don't see the the glory that God designed us for. But, verse 9, did you see? There's a, a but. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Humanity as a whole does not live up to God's good purpose, but one human does. Jesus has followed God's purpose and plan. He is crowned with glory and honour. Not because he's so lofty and exalted, we're told here, but because he suffered. God's answer to the garbage of the universe is not to give up on glory. It's to to come down and experience the garbage himself. God's answer to the garbage of the universe is not to give up on glory, but to come down and experience the garbage himself. And the life of this one truly glorious human is good news for all humanity, however mired in garbage we might be. Here's three ways that Jesus is good news for us. Uh, Firstly, Jesus is human, so he gets you. Uh, Secondly, he suffered, so you are free. And thirdly, he is a pioneer, so he can lead you to glory. Uh, We're going to just take them one at a time. So firstly, because he's human, he gets you. That's a big statement. How can I say that Jesus gets you when... I don't even fully get you. How can Jesus get you? The the God, how can God who made everything get you and what it's like to be you? Only if he becomes like you. Our nation is facing an upcoming referendum uh, about the Indigenous voice to Parliament and, and a big piece of the argument for it is that when Parliament considers laws, and particularly those that affect Indigenous Australians, they should listen, not just to people 
who know about Indigenous Australia, they should listen actually to First Nations people themselves. We're learning that someone who has actually lived it and experienced it has a unique perspective from those who haven't. So how could the all-powerful God really get what it is to be human? And in fact, how could he show us that he gets it? By becoming human himself. He takes on flesh and blood. Have a look at verse 14. It says, Since the children, that's you and me, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And again in verse 17, to spell it out even more clearly, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Jesus is fully human with all the bodily functions, all the capacity for greatness and the temptations to evil that being human entails. Now, I do want to clarify a few things here just so we don't run into trouble. Uh, Jesus, the, the, the um, eternal pre-existent son, he doesn't stop being fully God when he became human. Rather, he assumed humanity. He took on humanity alongside his divinity. And so his humanity doesn't compromise his divinity, his godness. He's still fully God. He's not a part God, part human, kind of like a a mythical hero like Achilles or Hercules or something who's actually not really relatable because they're not really human and not really divine. Jesus is fully human, flesh and blood, and fully divine, God and human. Uh, both dialed up to 100%. It's not, not 50-50 of each. Not a compromise between the two, but both at once. In the Gospels, we see Jesus cry. We see him get angry and have compassion. We see him work and heal and feed and teach and eat. We see him get tired and need to rest. We see him bleed. We see him die. Jesus is fully human. So he gets us. He gets you. He gets what you're going through. He too has suffered and been tempted. And more than that, he's not ashamed of you. You might be ashamed of him. You might be ashamed of yourself. He's not ashamed of you. You might hate yourself and want to hide your true self away. He's not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed. He sees you. He gets you. He's not ashamed to call you sister, to call you brother. As it says, the one who makes holy, Jesus, those who are made holy, us, are of the same family. He's not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. He gets you. He gets the shame and guilt you experience. He too bore shame and guilt. He gets what it is to suffer. He's not ashamed. He willingly and freely chose to become fully human, to identify with you and with me, to embrace us. Because he's not ashamed to call us his siblings. 
And because of that, he suffered for us. Jesus suffered for us. This is the point two. Verse 14 goes on, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus gets us and he loves us, so he doesn't leave us doomed to die haunted by the fear of death. He he acts powerfully and decisively to free us from death. How does he free us from death? Well, he suffers it for us. As it says, he tastes death for everyone so that we are free from the power of death. Death is no longer our destiny. Our sin that leads to death is atoned for. It's taken away. So death is no longer our destiny because he died in our place. The the perfect human dying a human death to take away the sin of humanity. If he wasn't human, he couldn't stand in our place. But he is fully human and so he's the perfect substitute. Because he's the true human. And the more we get this, the more it frees us from the fear of death. Or if I can put it another way, if you feel yourself enslaved by worries and anxieties that ultimately lead back to a fear of death, then perhaps you're not fully trusting that Jesus is your perfect substitute. You might get it intellectually, But do you rely on him and trust him in your heart? That that he tasted death for you? As part of my training, I did a pastoral care placement in a hospital. And it's made me reflect since then on how different people respond when they realise that death is approaching. Uh, There are some people who all their lives have avoided thinking about death. Maybe they've lived for the moment and almost been in denial about their mortality. So what happens when death is suddenly right there, staring you in the face? On the other hand, some of the other pastoral carers where I did my placement, I spoke about very religious people who in the face of death were so overwhelmed by their sense of guilt and shame, their burden of fear, have I done enough to please God? What if instead of denying death and and instead of fearing death, we trust Jesus as our substitute? We trust that he has tasted death for us, that he has atoned for our sins, that he is indeed the pioneer of our salvation who can lead us to glory. That's the beautiful third part of this story here in Hebrews. Not only did he descend to become human like us, not only did he suffer death for us, but now he leads us to glory, the glory that God has always destined for us. Verse 10 says, He's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It describes him as the pioneer of our salvation. 
Uh, I remember being on a school hiking camp through the remote and beautiful Victorian Alps. We'd had a wonderful week of hiking, and now we're only a few kilometres from the base camp and a well-earned rest. Uh, then our track begins to descend, and the bush on either side starts to get thicker. The track's a little harder to find, the, the branches are more overgrown, and soon we're pushing through tea tree, just trying to make a bit of forward progress, and we're hardly getting anywhere. You can only see a metre or two ahead or behind. It's, it's so thick we can hardly move. I begin to feel just that sense of panic rising in my chest. I'm meant to be helping lead this group and I don't know which way to go and even if I did, I'm not sure I could get us there. It's so thick. And in that moment, we desperately needed someone to clear the path for us, to, to not only go ahead of us and show the way, but to actually clear the path and do the hard work for us. In the language of Hebrews, we needed a pioneer. Because in the thick jungle of human life, uh, with sin and suffering hemming us in, barring our way, we need a pioneer to, to cut through our sin, to help us and lead us to show the way and to clear the way. That's Jesus, the pioneer of our salvation. He became fully human like us, so he gets it. He suffered death for us, so we can be free from the power of death. And now because he has gone ahead and is crowned with glory and honour, he leads us, he is our pioneer to glory too. He cuts through the sin that entangles he suffered death for our garbage. Now he is able to make us holy, to lead his brothers and sisters, all who trust in him, to glory. This is the Jesus we follow. This is the Jesus I invite you to put your trust in tonight. If humanity is a paradox, the, the glory and garbage of the universe... Well, so is our Saviour. Not glory and garbage, but fully God, fully human, fully glorious. The pioneer of our salvation. Let's take a couple of moments to pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is human like us that he gets us. Thank you that he was willing to suffer death for us in our place. Would you give us hearts that trust him more and more fully? And as we do that, would you free us from the power of death and lead us in your path to glory? In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing his praises in a song that helps us to reflect on the one who tasted death for us when I surveyed the wondrous cross. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>